The following audio is from Gold Country Baptist Church in Shingle Springs, California. Visit gcb.church to find more resources and to learn about our church. When my wife and I were newly married in our Sunday school class at our church down south, we had a retreat where there was a speaker by the name of Bob Vernon. may not be known to many of you. He was a one-time director of Cumulate Camps, uh, has been leading for many years Point Man Ministries, but was most famous years ago for being the assistant chief of police for the Los Angeles Police Department in a year where there was a lot of high-profile cases down there. And he told the story of when he was on patrol, him and his partner, Nick, saw one time this car with several youths who looked like they were 14 to 15 years old driving by, and they, he said we kind of gave them the, the cop look as they came by, and he said the guy in the driver's seat actually jumped into the back seat, kind of a curious thing, and then the car went off the road, crashed into a telephone pole, the doors open, they go running out, and Bob Vernon says, being the sharp police officers we were, we said, that's a clue, let's... Let's see what's going on here. They chased down. They caught two of the guys. It was a stolen car, as you might have guessed. Uh, The kid who was driving, they caught, and as they were taking him down and booking him at Juvenile Hall, they asked him, can we call your mom? He says, no, my mom's been dead since I was two. They said, well, is your father, can can we call him? He says, I I actually don't don't know uh, who my dad was. I I don't think my mom even knew. they said, well, we've got to call someone. He says, well, I'm living with my grandma, but don't call her. She's bedridden. This will, this will kill her. I'll handle it. And uh, they went to court a couple of weeks later for what's called a pre-detention hearing. And as Bob tells the story, Nick, my partner, raised his hand and said, Your Honor, can I make a couple of statements and ask you a question? And the judge said, well, it's, it's, uh, you're one of the arresting officers. We're a little more informal in juvenile hall. Go ahead. And Nick said, well, sir, it looks like... Looks like this young man needs a father. He doesn't have anybody. And, you know, my wife and I, for over 30 years, we, we haven't been able to have children. I've, I've always wanted a son. Your Honor, could I, could I take this boy home? Could I take this boy into my family? And could I try to be a father to him? The judge said, you, you realize what you're asking. You already know this about this boy. He's a thief. You want to take this boy into your home? And he said, yes, sir. Yes, your honor. And Bob Vernon says there weren't a lot of dry eyes in court that day. He says, I'll never forget that day. Of course, there had to be a, quite a process. Probation department was involved. And they later gave Nick permission to be a foster parent. That's how it started. And to take him in. And he said, it wasn't easy. I mean, can you imagine not knowing any dad or having any authority in your life, and now you have a cop for a dad. I mean, that's a pretty, pretty radical change. And Bob says, there was one time I'll never forget when I went by to pick up Nick to go to work, and he came out the back door with his boy in hand and drug him out to the car. He opened the back of the patrol car, threw him in there, and slammed it. And Bob says, where are we taking him? Nick said, we're taking him down to the station. I'm throwing him in the slammer while we work, and then I'll bring him home tonight. Maybe some of you parents like that idea. Maybe, maybe we can work out something with Officer Hungerbrock. I don't know, in our county here. But, but he says a relationship developed with that young man and that father. He grew to love him. Uh, 
It took time, as you can imagine, to build trust. It took time until the boy loved his adoptive parents. But he says, God knows all about you and me. God knows what's in our hearts. God knows what we've done. God knows what we will do. And God still reaches out and asks and takes responsibility to take us into his home and to love us and to live with him. And, and that is a, a picture of what's happened in the gospel. That's also a picture of where we left off last week in Exodus chapter 6, where God says he's going to take Israel to be his son, to adopt him. And adoption doesn't erase the past. It doesn't erase sin's effects. It doesn't make someone heal or heed their new father instantly. But in the Bible, that's Israel's story, and that's, that's our story. Jacob was known for being a thief. He was known for running from authority. But God took Jacob in, knowing full well what all of that would mean. Jacob was renamed Israel, and in Exodus 4, to the descendants of Israel, God says, Israel is my son. And God adopts them, knowing all the failings that they would do and their sins of the past and the future. God says there he will redeem and take them as his people. He will redeem and he will pay the legal requirements and take care of everything to, to set them free from the past. He's going to give them a new life. He's going to give them a new place to live, he says in Exodus 6. And it would be a radical change. And it wouldn't be easy. But Israel would grow to love God. It would take time. God is in this chapter, Exodus 6, promising deliverance while Israel is still in disobedience and still deep in discouragements, as we're going to see. And the context is, for 400 plus years, they've been slaves. But God is now coming to the point where he's going to redeem his son and he's going to take his son and bring him home. Look at Exodus 6, verse 9. Moses spoke thus to the people of Israel. He told them all these things that God had said, but they did not listen to Moses because of their broken spirit and harsh slavery. So the Lord said to Moses, go in, tell Pharaoh, king of Egypt, to let the people of Israel go out of his land. But Moses said to the Lord, behold, the people of Israel have not listened to me. How then shall Pharaoh listen to me? For I am of uncircumcised lips. But the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron and gave them a charge about the people of Israel and about Pharaoh, king of Egypt, to bring the people of Israel out. I want you to look back at verse 7 for the context, this key statement. I will take you to be my people. He already said in verse 6, I'll redeem you. Verse 7, I will take you to be my people and I will be your God. That's language of bringing them into the family. And you shall, here it is, you shall know that I am the Lord. In the future, you're going to know that I am the Lord. They didn't know him yet in this way. But he says, you shall know that I am the Lord. Now look at chapter 7, verse 5, where this is going. He says, the Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord. It's not just about you. You're going to know. But the Egyptians are going to know as well. And then in chapter 7 verse 12. What they're going to know about him. Initially is that he is greater. The Lord is greater. His staff snake is going to swallow theirs. And show his supremacy and superiority. 
And then there's going to be plagues from chapter 7 and, and following. And the, the plagues are going to show that the Lord is greater. So that they will know who this Lord is. That he is the greatest. And God will say later in the Exodus, this is actually be bigger than Egypt. This is so the world will know. He'll say in chapter 9, this is so that my name will be proclaimed in all the earth. The Lord's name even being proclaimed throughout the earth to this day is is part of what's going on in the Exodus. He's doing this so that the world will know that his name is going to go to all the world. And here's where it's going. After the Red Sea crossing, this is what we're going to read later in the story. Israel saw the great power that the Lord used against the Egyptians, so the people feared the Lord. And it says they believed in the Lord and in his servant Moses. They didn't yet in chapter 6, but they will. They will. And the Gentiles will see God's greater power. One Gentile is going to say in chapter 18, when he hears about the Exodus and through the Red Sea and all that, he's going to say this, and the plagues, now I know that the Lord is greater than all gods. And so that's the big idea that we need to see as well, where this is going. The big idea is knowing the Lord is greater. We need to know the Lord is greater. God is above Egypt's gods. God is king over earthly kings. He is in charge all the time. He is the ruler no matter what happens in elections, no matter what happens in our lives. God is the ruler yet. And we're going to first of all see as we walk through this text, things they needed to know, things we need to know, that our God is greater, our God is stronger, our God is higher than any other. And the the first section we're going to see, and we need to know the Lord is greater than what you feel. Look at chapter 6, verse 9. Moses spoke thus to the people of Israel, but they did not listen to Moses because of their broken spirit and harsh slavery. Some of the translations say their discouragement. They were so discouraged they couldn't even hear this. Their despondency is another translation. Their dejection. They were so impacted by what they had been going through, they, they couldn't hear it. And so they needed help, first of all, in their emotional brokenness before they needed help against egypt they needed help within they couldn't listen and it wasn't because there was something broken with their sense of hearing there was something broken in their spirit and that can happen to people from the past even as we pray for veterans many of them struggle with things that have happened in the past and ptsd and other things we need to pray for the effects of that that makes it difficult says they had broken spirits. And we saw last time the fact that there was no straw was the straw that broke the nation's back and broke their spirit. Because it got worse. Moses comes, announces their deliverance, and it gets worse, not better. So they had, they had this initial hope. But then, they, then Pharaoh clamps down and, and, and gets hardened in his heart, makes it harder on them. You're going to keep making bricks the same as before, but I'm not going to give you the supplies anymore. So it got worse and better. Of course, they didn't have Romans 8 yet, but if they did, they would have wondered, how is this working all things together for our greater good? There was the Genesis 50 statement from their family history, what men intend for evil, God intends for good, but they're not, they're not seeing the good. 
And so the context of chapter 5 ends with the why questions. As Pharaoh's heart hardens and it gets harder for Israel, they're wondering why. And Moses is wondering why, not just the people. He's the one who asks why. And part of the answer sometimes is we need to be on our back before we really look up. Sometimes we need to get knocked flat on our back before we actually look up. And that's all we can do is just look up. And part of the answer also is if believers don't see how bad their old life was, they're going to be more tempted to go back. In fact, if you know the story of Israel, they are going to be tempted to go back, even with how bad it got before they left. Just imagine if it hadn't gotten this bad. But there are believers I've known impacted by slavery of trafficking or the effects of addiction, which is a type of slavery, abuse, trauma has affected people in this room or an oppressive government that some of you grew up with that still affects you and still affects even what you don't realize sometimes in certain situations, just what it was like to be in a place like that. Several here daily feel the impact of a broken family or a broken heart with a lost loved one that you, every day, there's still that ache. Some of you have faced big discouragements. What we all need to know is that God is bigger. God is greater than any of the things that we feel. And, and you might feel like you can never be free of a sin. Maybe it's a, an entangling sin of lust or anger or just the impatience or anxiety that just continues to plague you. Maybe your spirit feels trapped by brokenness from your past or present, or maybe there's a, a harsh person that you continually interact with. And if you're honest, it's hard for you even to listen sometimes on Sundays. It's hard for you even to get into God's Word during the week. And so there, there's an enemy in this passage that was Pharaoh, but our, our enemy is not Pharaoh. Our enemy is the flesh. It's the world. It's, it's the devil that we need to reckon with. And we need to realize sin can enslave, sin can break a spirit. One Jewish scholar said the word broken in verse 9 means disheartened and despondent, dispirited. It's a Hebrew idiom signifying a state of depression. I appreciated reading these words from Charles Spurgeon of those who are depressed or deeply discouraged, who doubt that there's grace for them. He says this, I have the most sympathy for those who are so full of anguish and so crushed in spirit that they cannot find strength of mind enough to entertain a hope. He says, I myself in my anguish could not believe even Jesus himself. Therefore, as one who has worn the chains, 
He says, I speak to those who are still in chains. I know the clanking of those chains. I know what it is like to feel the damp of the stone walls and to feel like there is no coming out and to fear that. And he says, oh, the prison is, that is so awful is that which is built by despair and that prison that is kept under the custody of a crushed spirit. But he says this, listen diligently, listen diligently to the voice of the gospel. Because the voice of the gospel speaks to the situation. And we're going to see that here. I like how Martin Lloyd-Jones also spoke in his book, Spiritual Depression, how we need to not just passively listen to our feelings. We need to preach the truth to ourselves. We need to preach the gospel to our own soul. And this is what the gospel says. It was read earlier. 1 John 3.20, whenever our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart. Whenever you feel condemned by your, by your heart, you need to know God is greater than your heart. He's greater than what you feel. And, and I need to say to you, Christian here, you need to know, I need to know, the Lord is greater. He is greater. There is no one greater and He gives a greater grace. That's what we heard last week. So appreciated Kevin's message last week. God gives a greater grace, James 4, but he's opposed to the proud. But he gives grace to the humble. He doesn't give that grace to the proud heart. You've got to humble yourself. You've got to come, draw near to him. And there's grace for any humble-hearted person who comes to him. There's a lot going on in the world that concerns us and, and maybe even just watching the, the news this week. There's things that are concerning you by, that are going on in the world. But we need to rem remember the word of God also says greater is he who is in you than he who is what? In the world. We need to preach that to ourselves because we can get so caught up. Sometimes we need to just turn off the, the news and, and, and look at the, the good news, the gospel, what it says. Greater is he, Christian, who is in you than he who is in the world. And he is working all things together for our greater good to those who love him, to those who are called to his purpose. But don't listen to your feelings. Listen to your father who is in heaven. Listen to your father, not your feelings. John 10, 29 says in the gospel, the father is greater than all and no one can snatch, snatch a believer out of his hand. Isn't that good news? The Father is greater than all, and if you are in his hand, there's no one and nothing that can separate you from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus. Not height, depth, angels, principalities, anything present or anything here to come. And the Lord Jesus, the Lord who is greater than all, the Lord Jesus said this, greater love has no one than this. This was also quoted earlier, that someone laid down his life for his friends. And the Lord Jesus laid down his life for us when we were not being friends to him. He laid down his life while we were enemies. He laid down his life for us. So listen to your friend in heaven. Listen to your father. Don't listen to your feelings. Don't let your feelings drive what you do and your emotions. We need to know the love of God is greater far then tongue or pen can ever tell. It goes beyond the highest star and it reaches down where sinners dwell. And this is where Israel was dwelling and living. 
They felt like they had, at the end of chapter 5, the sentence of death. Their agony, they felt getting greater. They, they were feeling more stripes on their backs. Even their overseers were being brutally beaten. But the Lord is greater than all of that. Here's what a Puritan named John Flavel said of the cross. Out of his agony comes our victory. Out of his stripes our healing. Out of his death our life. Pilate gave sentence against Christ that the great God might never give a sentence against you. Isn't that great? He suffered all those things so that we don't have to suffer and stay in that state. There's no greater power than the gospel. And there's no one greater than Christ. But see, if you listen to those discouraging voices, whether from within or from without, it can, it can bring you down. You can go from here at church singing these great things, but then what you choose to listen to as you go from here, from yourself and from others, is going to make all the difference. And Moses, in verse 12, hears that Israel is down, and he feels down himself. And here's what he says, and you can understand it. How am I going to get Pharaoh to listen to me when I can't even get my fellow Israelites to listen to me? And he feels his lips aren't cut out for this task. I think the, it's a metaphor here of the, my lips aren't cut out for this, or the NASB says I'm unskilled in my speech. And remember, he he'd brought up objections before, and he may not have been the best speaker. He may have actually had some sort of Impediment, but whatever weakness or brokenness, brokenness he had and that Israel had, the Lord is greater than all of that. That's what he told him earlier. And it's not about you, he told him. It's not about us. It's not about what people think of us. It's actually true. Moses lacked the resources on his own. But that wasn't the point. By greater grace, he's going to come to know. He, and, and Hebrews tells us that he came to know the Lord is greater treasure than all the riches of Egypt that he had grown up with. All of Egypt's resources were nothing compared to, he would rather have the reproach of Christ than the riches of Egypt because he saw that his reward was God. And that's ultimately what I think he saw that kept him going here. It's a reminder to us, again, don't listen to your feelings. Listen to your father and your friend that you have in Jesus. And so in verse 13, God gives a charge to Moses and Aaron to call the family of Israel out, which they're going to do. But before they do, it first gives readers their family tree. Verse 14, these are the heads of their father's houses, the sons of Reuben, the firstborn of Israel, Hanak, Palu, Hezron, and Carmi. These are the clans of Reuben, the sons of Simeon, Jemuel, Jamin, Ohad, Jachin, Zohar, and Shaul, the son of a Canaanite woman. These are the clans of Simeon. These are the names of the sons of Levi according to their generations, Gershon, Kohath, and Merari, the years of the life of Levi being 137. The sons of Gershon, Libni, and Shimei by their clans. The sons of Kohath, Amram, Izhar, Hebron, and Uziel. The years of the life of Kohath being 133 years. The sons of Merari, Mali, and Mushi. These are the clans of the Levites according to their generations. And so this, this list here is tracing and focusing on the clans of the Levites. This is not a complete list of every generation. If you, if you study the chronology here, it seems there's 
some missing names and generations. There's only three tribes, and it's using the language of clans. And, and we would wonder, why, why these names? And why here? Isn't this something you would maybe put at the beginning of the book? And to our modern Western minds, this, this seems out of place. Honestly, this took me a while to wrestle with this week. And my first thought is, is this a commercial break? You know, is this kind of a, because we're getting ready, the, the story's getting dramatic, and it's going to pick up at the end of the chapter. In chapter 7, you know, we see those ads online that you're not interested in, but you gotta, you got to wait a little while before you can click the X and, and kind of skip through it. Is, is this something we're just to skip through in our, our reading and preaching? A, a good brother that I was listening to preaching through Exodus just, just moved past this to the next passage. It didn't give me any help here. I was a little frustrated there, but is this, what are we to do with this? There's, we have some pregnant moms here. Maybe the, there's some names that you can think about here. Mushy, I was thinking of. Maybe a chubby or affectionate kind of baby or, or jamming, maybe a, a future musician. I don't know. What are we to do with this? And these names are not trendy today. I mean, Levi is a name that we think of other things today or, or Reuben, you know, his claim to fame has to do with sandwiches, but these names may not mean much to us today, but what we need to understand is God records names of individuals in his book who matter to him. Can you imagine being some of the people who hear your name being recorded in scripture? It's like we see Paul listing names in the New Testament. Francis Schaeffer said, there's no little people to God. The names of individuals matter to him. And, and these are mostly ordinary people. And, and these are mostly unknown to us. Paul says in the New Testament, the Lord knows those who are his. And to the Jews, these names were their story. This was huge to them. Verses 14 through 16 are the first three sons of their ancestor Jacob, also known as Israel, Reuben, Simeon, and Levi. And then it stops there. It doesn't go through the rest of them. And it really fills out the family of Levi, but it mentions first Reuben and Simeon and their sons, I think to remind us of where they came from. In Genesis 35 to 36, Reuben committed incest in his father's bed to try to take the place of preeminence. Simeon and Levi, the next two sons that are mentioned here, they led the mass murder of the Shechemites, Simeon and Levi. This is what Jacob said in Genesis 49. Reuben, you are my firstborn, but you shall not have preeminence because you went up to your father's bed, then you defiled it, he says. Simeon and Levi, Jacob said, are brothers. Weapons of violence are their swords. In other words, they're partners in crime, literally. And he says this, cursed be their anger. I will divide them in Jacob and scatter them in Israel. This is actually a prophecy. They're going to be divided among the, the promised land. They're not going to receive land. The tribe of Levi would not receive any land. And when the tribes are getting their land and it's being divided, Levi 
is the tribe of Moses and Aaron in verse 20. This is tracing the line of Levi to Moses and Aaron. It's going to fill out the family tree of Levi, at least some of the names representative. It's focused on the Levite lineage of these men, Moses and Aaron, who God is going to use against Pharaoh. And verse 20 mentions their dad, Moses and Aaron's dad, Amram, married his father's sister. Which Jews reading this, this was written when they're later, as he's giving them the law, as they would hear this story, is that they, they would recognize the law actually forbids this sort of marriage, marrying your father's sister, his father's sister. And in verse 15, you may have noticed also there was mention of a Canaanite woman, something else that was frowned upon later in the law, but also even in, in the times of Genesis, unless this person was a believer and there's no indication that it was. But these are details Moses could have skipped. I mean, he could have skipped the whole thing, but of these names that he gives, he, he includes this detail, like his father married his aunt. He could have also skipped the Genesis story about Levi's sin. But again, I think this suggests a second point that I want us to see, that, it, that the Lord is greater than where you're from. Because they had somewhat of a checkered past. This wasn't a, a wonderful family story. Come on, kids, let's tell you about great-great-great-grandpa Levi and what he did. Moses came from a sinful, murderous, and cursed tribe that were to be scattered throughout Israel. This is the unlikely way that God works. Moses came from parents who shouldn't have been married according to God's law. And then you remember Moses grew up in the home of a pagan Egyptian who was the daughter of the arch enemy of God's people. That's who he grew up with, the daughter of wicked Pharaoh. And he later killed a man. And he was wanted for murder. He had to flee for his life. And he spent another 40 years living with a pagan Arab priest in the desert. And as he comes back from Midian, his own son wasn't circumcised. The most basic symbol of what it means to be Jewish. that He seems to have forgotten or, or neglected. But Moses is going to come to know and the people with him that the Lord is greater than all those things from the past. Greater than where he came from. We sing sometimes, greater far than all my sin and shame. Oh, magnify the precious name of Jesus, grace of Jesus. Praise his name. And see, this isn't just a list of names. This is here. The story of Exodus is, we have that clue later on. It's, it's here so that we would proclaim the name of the Lord to all the earth. The events of the Exodus. And later in Exodus, it's going to say, His name is to be proclaimed that He is merciful and gracious. The Lord, Yahweh, merciful and gracious. Abounding in loving kindness and mercy. So your family may have dysfunction. Your family may have drama. Your family may have divorce, etc. But the Redeemer who can use the Levites can use you. And the scripture says all, Paul says all scripture is inspired by God and is profitable for teaching, for proof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. So this is part of all scripture. 
And one of the things that this is profitable and useful for teaching us is that God's ways are not man's ways. And God's sovereign choice is different than the choice of man. Jacob, the father of these three sons, is actually who Paul talks about in Romans 9 when he talks about God's election of Jacob, the younger son, while he was in the womb, before he could do or choose anything, he had a plan for Jacob and Esau was rejected. Paul says there that that predestined purpose of God does not depend on the will of man. It depends on the will of God. Man had his own plans for the firstborn. Esau was the firstborn, but he was rejected and, and Jacob was chosen also, Abraham's firstborn was Ishmael, not Isaac. Jacob's firstborn, Reuben. So Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, all three of them, their firstborns, were not part of God's plan and of covenant grace and, and lined. Reuben is rejected as the firstborn. It's the thirdborn, Levi's family, that God chooses to deliver Israel through Aaron and Moses. And Moses is not the firstborn either. And in verse 16, Kohath wasn't the firstborn of Levi. But God's going to choose his line to be the line that deliverance comes through. All of Israel is going to be physically redeemed later through the Red Sea and all of that. But we need to understand there's something bigger already happening here. And that is the tribe of Levi is in the process of being redeemed now. Not as they go through the plagues and the Passover and the Red Sea. The tribe of Levi is being redeemed by God as a picture of his grace for others. Remember, Levi had a curse in Genesis 49. But in Exodus, Levi's tribe, and this is a huge thing and theme that develops throughout Scripture. Levi's tribe is redeemed from the curse, and has a special place in God's plan, despite where they had been from. And so all scripture is profitable for teaching, but also rebuking, correcting. I think there is a, a warning from Levi that should correct us not to sin as he did, not to give in to anger like he did, whether it's murder in our heart or, or other forms of sin. So that's one thing, it corrects us, but it also trains us in righteousness. It trains us that there is grace greater than all sin. Amen? I mean, the, the fact that we're here shows that this pattern has, has continued on. Jesus redeems us too, Galatians says. He redeems us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. And Levi gives a little picture and a preview of what that redemption can look like for people despite their past. It's interesting that Exodus 2, when it talks about Moses' mom and dad, it says that his father was from the house of Levi, and he married a Levite woman. And so the text is already drawing attention to this, chapter 2. And then chapter 4, when Moses says, I can't speak, well, God says, well, I'm sending to you Aaron the Levite. He can speak well. God says, God has a plan for the Levites despite their past. He has a plan for the Levites to speak for him. And it starts here with these in 
chapter 6, verse 26. These are the Aaron and Moses to whom the Lord said, Bring out the people of Israel from the land of Egypt by their hosts. It was they who spoke to Pharaoh, king of Egypt, about bringing out the people of Israel from Egypt. This Moses and this Aaron. These two guys that he just traced through the line of Levi. And there were probably other names there that aren't mentioned. But this is a direct lineage on their mother's and father's side of the tribe of Levi. They're going to speak for him despite their objections. If you look at chapter 7, verse 1, the idea there is, is you're going to be God's representative, Moses. Aaron, you're going to be God's regarded as holy. In the sight of all people, I will be honored. I will show myself holy, he says. You need to regard me as holy. I will be honored. Shows the seriousness of dishonoring God, even in worship. And it says, Moses summoned Mishael and Elzaphon. These are the names that I just read. From sons of Aaron's uncle Uzziel and said to them, Come here, carry your cousins outside the camp, away from the front of the sanctuary. Now, if you were a Levite, you're one of those that serves in the tabernacle. And you had to carry the dead guys out. The guys who didn't honor God and follow him exactly as he said. That would make an impact on you. To have to carry the bodies out. Away from the front of the sanctuary. And again, maybe you're thinking, I'm, I'm glad God doesn't. That's just the Old Testament. But don't you remember Ananias and Sapphira in the New Testament? They're doing a good thing. Giving money the church bringing their offering and they lie about what they had done try to make themselves look better and they instantly die and it says they were carried out out of where God's people were they were again carried out dead Paul in 1 Corinthians 11 talks about when we don't discern the body rightly or when we aren't examining ourselves before we can take of the Lord's Supper he says you know, some among you have been judged. Some are sick and some have died because they haven't honored the Lord rightly. They've been hypocritical. They've been self-righteous. They've been profaning what should be holy. This is, God is serious about sin. It's in the New Testament that we read the wages of sin is what? Death. That's the New Testament. There is a fire of God's wrath in the New Testament. Revelation talks more about it than any other book. There's a fire of God's wrath that comes on the unrepentant unless they turn to Christ. Unless they flee from the wrath to come. Unless they trust Christ's sacrifice. For them. That's the only way to escape God's wrath. To trust that Christ on the cross took all that wrath for you. That he died, he rose again. You put your only hope and your only trust in what Christ did for you, not anything you can do for God. Whosoever believes, Jesus says, shall not perish. Won't perish like those sinners did, but will have eternal life. Even when our earthly life ends, there's eternal life that begins now and never ends with the Lord. For those who turn from their sin and trust him, if you need help doing that, if you're not sure you've ever done that, our brother and sister up front afterwards would love to talk with you, pray with you. Any of us you've seen up front would love to do that. But as believers, we also need to regard God as holy. 
We need to honor him. This is serious to him. These names remind us of that. We need to worship only the way that he has commanded us to. We need to approach God with fear and reverence, without strange fire, without sin that we haven't repented of. Aaron's first two sons. This is Aaron, the one who's going to be the father of the priest. His first two sons are wiped out. And Moses' sons aren't even mentioned in this. We don't know of anything spiritually that came from Gershon. And I can't remember the other name of of Moses' sons. But that's, that's a reminder of how important it is for us to instruct our sons and daughters in the way that his sons would be wiped out. But there would still be greater grace for that family for that family tree, and, and look at the end of verse 23, because there's two brothers here that witnessed all this, and that Eliezer, it mentions, and Ithamar, they took God seriously. They served God faithfully, and their descendants served God continually, all the way to New Testament times. So this is 1,500 years before Christ, approximately. They serve continually. In fact, the first page of the Gospel of Luke says that Zechariah, who was a priest, so he was a Levite, he married Elizabeth of the daughters of Aaron. And so the Gospel is even highlighting this this faithful man and woman, this godly descendants of these names here, that Elizabeth is one of those daughters of Aaron. And of course, Elizabeth, if you know the story in, in Zechariah, they have this son, John, John the Baptist, and Jesus says, there's no one greater who's been born of man, or born of woman, sorry, than John, Aaron's great descendant, had the greatest role because he had the, the greatest person who ever walked this earth. He was pointing people to someone greater than himself. He must increase, I must decrease. He was the greatest ever because of his greatest assignment. But once Jesus comes on the scene, he wants to fade completely and draw all attention to Christ. But not only that, as Christ comes and as the church is born in Acts, we read in Acts 6 that many of the priests became obedient to the faith. So many descendants of Levi converted to Christ, many of those Levite priests. And also in verse 23, Aminadab and Nashan, these are names mentioned in the New Testament. The first page of the first gospel, Matthew 1, verse 4, says Aminadab and Nashan are in the line of Judah. They're in the line of Jesus. And so even in this, these names we see here, Moses, in chapter 7, was, would, would be the prophet. Aaron would be the priest. Aaron married kingly blood. He married into the tribe of Judah and, and ultimately, this is all setting the scene for later. We need someone who can be prophet, priest, and king all in one, and that's Jesus. But Aaron, his wife, and it's interesting, there's a couple women, Jochebed also, who are named, again, showing how important individuals are and women are to the Lord. But she is named and also mentioned where she came from to the tribe of Judah. So Judas, there's a link to the family tree of Jesus Right here in Exodus, the one who would be savior for all peoples, men and women, slave and free, all ethnicities, all types of people. Exodus 6, verse 24. Also want us to see what happened to Korah's family. The sons of Korah, Aser, Elkanah, and Abiasaph. These are the, clan, the clans of the Korahites. So Korah rebelled and met his end as the earth swallowed him and the rebels with him. But that was not the end of Korah's family. 
That was not the end of Korah's sons. And, and they actually came to know God's greater grace. They actually were the ones who sang of God's grace. They became the musicians for Israel. And they sang some of the greatest psalm lyrics. Let me just give you some. Psalm 48. The header says, A song of the sons of Korah. Great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. And they go on to talk about his great grace, his great loving kindness. Or the psalm we sang earlier, a mighty fortress is our God. That song comes from Psalm 46, a psalm of the sons of Korah. God is our refuge and strength. He is our, our helper amidst the flood. And it says, therefore, listen to this. Think of what happened to Korah. And then listen to these words from the sons of Korah. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth give way. I think they're remembering what had happened in, in their past, where they had come from. Their, their father had, had died. The earth had get, given way, but they didn't fear that because they were true worshipers of the Lord. Psalm 84, another son of Korah writes this, how lovely is your dwelling place, O Lord Almighty. My soul yearns and faints for you. He says, better is one day in your courts than a thousand elsewhere. That's what we can learn from these sons of Korah. They love to be with God's people. They love to, to spend any, any day and every day with God's people and to be there for worship. They wanted to be in the courts of God because they saw that as, as lovely. Here's another one from the sons of Korah. As the deer pants for the water brook, so my soul longs after you, O God. The sons of Korah wrote that. The sons of Korah wrote how when we get in despair, we need to say, why are you in despair? O my soul, hope in God. I will yet trust him. The sons of Korah sang that as well. The sons of Korah, Psalm 87 Glorious things of thee are spoken, Zion, city of our God. All these lyrics that I've read, we still sing these lyrics today in various ways and various songs. The lines from the sons of Korah are still being sung today. And they knew and they understood grace. And we need to praise the Lord that he is greater than Korah's failings. Amen. And that he can use even those who have those sort of things in their past. His sons were redeemed to sing but it's not just these less known names here. Moses, the most famous name here, he also failed big time. In fact, he would not be allowed to enter the promised land because of his sin. Aaron is going to sin in the book of Exodus big time with the golden calf as well. But the Lord had a greater future for Moses and Aaron. And look at verse 25. Eliezer, Aaron's son, took his... his his wife, one of the daughters of Putiel, and she bore him Phinehas. Another name you may not recognize, but Phinehas, his descendants became the high priests of Israel. And Phil Riken has this interesting note. His mother, Putiel, apparently was African because Phinehas' name means black man. The story of Phinehas and his righteous zeal is told in Numbers 25 when he stopped immorality. God said of him, I am making my covenant of peace with him. He and his descendants will have a covenant of lasting priesthood because he was zealous for the honor of his God and he made atonement for the Israelites. And in the Psalms, we read that Phinehas stood up and intervened and the plague was checked. This was credited to him as righteousness. It says that about Abraham, is the only, I think the only other person that says language like that in the Old Testament, and Phinehas. These are the two great examples of what justifying faith looks like in the Old Testament. This is a... This is a great 
character, and he went on to become a great leader. He was a military commander during their battles against the Midians. He, he remained faithful and was actually one of those who got to go into the promised land. And when civil war broke out, he was one of those that brought peace. And so Riken says, this can be a rallying cry to have the courage for us in our day to defend God's honor when it's attacked from the outside and, and from within the church. And when sexual immorality has, has become commonplace and when Christians are divided amongst themselves, we can be like this man, Phineas, zealous for God's glory. And at the same time, making peace within the church. There's a lot we can learn from names like this, to know the Lord is greater than what you feel, where you're from, when you'll fail, and then who you'll face. And we'll just tee this up for next time. Chapter 7, verse 1, the Lord said to Moses, see, I have made you like God to Pharaoh, and your brother Aaron shall be your prophet. You shall speak all that I command you, and your brother Aaron shall tell Pharaoh to let the people of Israel go. And as I read earlier, this was also Egypt would know. And it says in verse 6 that Moses and Aaron did so. They did just as the Lord commanded them. Now Moses was 80 years old and Aaron 83 years old when they spoke to Moses. So let that be an encouragement also to our super seniors. I know they're about to have a, a lunch here for those who are 70 and better. Here's a couple who were 80 and better who were still serving the Lord. God is greater than your gray hair, we can say. You're whether you have more wrinkles or not, you're not ruined. You're still useful to the Lord. He has you here for a purpose, and God is going to redeem these 80-somethings and use them actually to redeem all of God's people. And so let that encourage all of us to do all that God commands, to speak for him where he calls us to speak, to be his ambassadors too. And no matter who or what you face, to know the Lord is greater. Moses and Egypt are going to know that. And the next section, God is going to show that. And we'll see that next week. Well, let's pray. Our great and gracious God, we thank you for that grace that is greater than all sin that you give us. That you are greater than he who is in the world. And that, Lord, even when our hearts condemn us, you are greater than our hearts. We thank you for these truths. We Pray that we would think much of and make much of our Redeemer as we go in his name. Amen.